Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode I'll be speaking to Danny Green, who's the general manager of the MeBits DAO. Now MeBits are a very popular NFT collection. They've been created by Larva Labs, which in itself is a company that is also very well known and is the creator of the CryptoPunks and also the Autoglyphs. Recently, actually last week, we've got the big news of the Yuga Labs acquisition of the intellectual property behind MeBitsDAO and also CryptoPunks. So we'll be talking about that. That's very big news in the NFT space. And we'll also be delving deeper into MeBits themselves and what relevance they have to the metaverse, following up on last week's episode on the metaverse. So I'm very interested to hear Danny's thoughts on on all the things that I've mentioned. And I think you'll find this very interesting if you're interested in investing in the metaverse or you're just looking to learn more about NFTs and um, Web3 in general. So let's get on with the show. Before we start, a few words from our sponsors, Ledin. Did you know that with Ledin, you can double your Bitcoin instantly through a B2X loan? Yes, the B2X loan service allows clients to access a loan in dollars of equal value to the Bitcoin they have in order to buy more Bitcoin in a single step. Use this link to register. Start.ledin.io slash Jean Galea and fund your savings account with at least 25 USDC or 150,000 Satoshis to receive a sign-up bonus of $10 in USDC. Terms and conditions apply. Now on with the show and let's start talking to Danny. Hi Danny, welcome to the show. Glad to have you with us. Thank you so much, I'm glad to be here. So let's start off with yourself. What brought you to Web3 and NFTs? And then obviously also me, because we'll be talking a lot about that today. Absolutely. So I have um, a background in entertainment and media. I worked in television. I worked um, for Activision Blizzard as a consultant on the launch of Black Ops 3. And I've always been really interested in the intersection of kind of technology, art and culture and finance and how these things came together and also like the homegrown creation of content. So one of the the television that I worked at many years ago was one of the first television networks that was actually using user-generated content and putting that on television. It was called Current TV and it was started by Al Gore. And, And so kind of the cutting edge of media and entertainment and the use of technology to create media and entertainment has always been what has fascinated me and where I've my career has taken me. So NFTs is a really interesting logical explanation of that or uh, example of this, right? You know, crypto was always interesting to me, but you know, it just seemed like a financial product and I was like the underlying technology is really interesting, but this isn't necessarily the application of it that kind of spoke to me. So when NFTs hit the stage, I was like, oh, this is it. Like we're now seeing something really interesting. And my first kind of foray into NFTs was in NBA Top Shot. I collected basketball and baseball cards growing up as a kid. So it just immediately made sense to me that there could be a digital version of a basketball card, right? That it's like a, a basketball card itself is a piece of 
paper with a guy's face on it and you know some stats on the back and yet that has value why can't a digital version of the same thing that is actually moving if there's some sort of scarcity that is tied to it why can't that have value you know in growing up in kind of a digital age and and kind of being a digitally native person as a millennial right it just made sense to me so didn't it take much convincing for me that this was going to be something and going to grow so about a year ago, last February, a friend of mine from business school raised some money to do a startup for an NFT platform called Curio NFT. And they were licensing entertainment intellectual property, like movies and television shows and graphic novels, and creating high-quality NFT collections around that. And so I became the first employee. I was their VP of global marketing and head of communications, kind of running everything from our PR to our launch strategy for each new collection and actually involved in kind of every aspect of it. And that's how I got involved in NFTs. I, you know, I've kind of dabbled in a lot of different careers <laughs> over the last 20 years. And I suddenly felt like, oh, this is everything coming together in one space. It's technology, it's finance, it's uh, art and culture, it's user generated. So there's this like bottom up approach to it. It's cutting edge. And um, yeah, I feel like I finally found my place in the world. Mm -hmm. Very good. For our European audience, I guess, I've always found the sports card thing quite interesting. I personally have no experience with that because I don't think it's a big thing in Europe. So I'd love if you could spend a few minutes on that because I think it's it's been very easy for the American audience to get into NFTs, especially the type like NBA Top Shot because of this previous exposure to collecting cards. Um, I think in Europe, what's popular, what has all, at least when I was growing up, it was these stickers, like the album stickers, football would be soccer in the US. Those, but they, they had no stats or anything. So it was just opening the pack and sticking them on the album and trading them with your friends. It's similar, but I think there's something extra in the sports cars, if I understand well. Yeah. Often when I'm talking to people about NFTs, you know, who are new to the concept, you know, and they're looking at me like, I just don't get it. It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, one of the first questions I ask is like, what did you collect as a kid? And so I'll ask you, did you collect anything where you, did you collect anything when you were a kid? I did collect postage stamps and stickers. Yeah. Kind of those two things. Yeah. What was your motivation for collecting? Oof, that's a good one. The stamps, my mom put me into it. <laughs> I was very young. I had no idea. The stickers, I think it was really interesting because there was the community aspect of trading with your friends, of going to school every day with the excitement of having a rare one or maybe getting a good deal. And I think that's, I find that a lot has been rekindled in the NFT space, especially the community and the excitement. Yeah, you just made the leap. Exactly right. I find that some people, they're like, I didn't really collect anything, right? Like, I, I don't really have that. And I was like, oh, you don't have the collector's gene? You may never get this, right? Like, this just may not be for you. But the people who say exactly what you said, which is like, oh, I collected these stickers and I got to trade them with my friends and I looked forward to trying to get a rare one. And it kind of built a sense of belonging community among people who had this shared interest. NFTs make total sense. Oh, and there was another one, the Pogs. The, you remember the hey, that pugs? was a global one. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, traded in pods 
And, you know, the fun thing about pogs as well is there was like a gambling aspect to it. Like there was a game you could play yeah. where you could win other people's pogs. And that's and, in fact why they banned them in schools. <laughs> right. I know. I made a kid cry when I like won all of his new pogs. He went running home to his mom and his mom came after me and said like, hey, you need to give them back. And I was like, no, I don't. He lost them. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very short-lived phenomenon. I think it was one or two years max because they banned them. I think it was a worldwide thing where the schools were banning them. Yeah, I mean, I think that the underlying concept here, which is like, what has value, right? Like how, what has value, you know, a POG, which is a piece of cardboard, right? With a printed thing on it or a sticker or a stamp or a baseball card or even a piece of art. Like what gives it value? At the end of the day, it's all perceived value, right? Based on some supply and demand, you know, chart right? Mm -hmm. Like there's some amount of supply that exists to this item. There's some amount of demand. And as demand increases or supply decreases, that increases the value of it. And what is to say that a digital asset can't also follow that exact same concept? There's nothing, right? Well, now what blockchain technology allows for us is to create actual digital scarcity and have a public ledger that is built on a trustless, permissionless system, right? And so I have full trust in the system that the scarcity of this item is permanent and that the trading of these items on blockchain through this digital ledger is transparent. And that gives me confidence in the value of it. And that's why this technology is so valuable, I think, for the future of, of digital ownership. As our lives continue to move more and more into the digital realm, I mean, again, we're having this conversation face-to-face, -face, even though this is just audio, you and I are mm -hmm. looking at each other across the world, right? Having a digital, a relationship just through this digital medium, right? What Web3 or blockchain technology allows for is digital ownership. And that represents something completely new in, in the realm of technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally makes sense. I like to tell people that they should start from Bitcoin always. I don't know. It's just my love for Bitcoin, but I think it's very important that what you mentioned, that you understand the scarcity, how we manage to create scarcity in a digital fashion is very important before you can understand NFTs. Else you start getting the argument of the right click save and you get into a bit of a loop there where it's hard to get out of if they haven't understood this concept first. Yeah, and, and you know, in case anyone doesn't know kind of what that, what we mean when we say that, right? Right-click save is this idea that I can look at a, a JPEG, right? Or an NFT that just, you know, is a, is a digital file and I can save that file to my computer, right? And great, now I have it on my computer. Sure, it's the same way of saying like, I can take a picture of the Mona Lisa, right? And then I have a picture of it. That doesn't mean that you own the Mona Lisa or any other piece of art. It doesn't mean that you own the NFT. It just means that you have a, an image of it. And in the world of digital media, the ubiquity of the image actually can increase its value, right? So people willingly want other people to see their item and share it because the more it's seen, then the more attention it gets and potentially the demand for that underlying NFT, which is scarce, goes up. 
yeah, and uh, I think there are different kinds of NFTs as well. In fact, sometimes I get a bit infuriated because I buy something for the art and I can't even get a high-res version of it. <laughs> so it's a bit ridiculous. Well, where do you display your NFTs? I mean, so when you say you can't get a high-res version of it, that means that there's there's some place you're going to see it in a high-res place. So how how do you display your NFTs? I love to print every NFT that I own because I, I love the, well, you can see a few behind me. These are just punkscapes. I love having them. If you see the other wallets full of NFTs, <laughs> I love interacting with them in this manner, you know, and getting to know each item that I buy. Sometimes it grows on me. Sometimes I feel that it wasn't a great purchase. So that's part of it. And yeah, I mean, if I buy an NFT, I want to own the art usually. That's just me. That's really interesting. So I don't print anything. <laughs> I don't actually have it displayed anywhere, right? Like the only places I see my NFTs are on my my phone, right? Screen or my computer screen. And that works for me because I, you know, I'm kind of a minimalist. Like I don't like a lot of stuff and I definitely don't want like paper like around and to me, it's also an expression of my digital identity, right? So the way the best place for me to display my NFTs are with my profile picture on Twitter or on Discord or kind of in sharing with building relationships with people who kind of have similar interests and in being like, oh, I got this one. Oh, I got this one. And so it's a, a sharing aspect, but all through the digital medium. I think what I would say is then... Would it be a valid argument if people tell us, like, you're just buying it for the pump, you know, for the financial aspect, apart from your PFP, and maybe if you have the doodles, you have three, four doodles that you can share or whatever. But why do you have 200 NFTs, you know? What are you going to do with them if it's not for the money? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's mostly for the money. So let me let me just start there, right? Like, I don't think I'd be playing this game if it weren't for the money. And and that's true as well for pogs, right? Like I wouldn't have spent hundreds of dollars buying pogs unless I felt like there was some sort of demand for them and there was value. And like, you know, that created kind of an excitement to the whole game of it. You know, otherwise, you know, you, there's a lot of different, you can go play video games, you know, you can go do other things and you don't actually need NFTs to kind of be able to, to be a part of it if it weren't for kind of the speculative value and the opportunity to kind of like make some money on it. So I think that's a, a significant part of it. And we'll got into this a little bit later, but like, I think the next stage of this is actually building utility around the NFTs um, beyond just a sense of digital identity, right? So that that's a part of it, right? Like the digital identity, there's, there's a flex. I'm showing off that I have this NFT and then in the world of NFTs, that gives me some credibility because I own that collection, right? I'm a part of that collection. So that's a part, that's a utility beyond just kind of like the specific financial speculation of it. It reminds me of the games I used to play when I was young. I used to love games like SimCity or Transport Tycoon. And what did I love about Transport Tycoon, you know, is the tycoon aspect, no? Of growing from zero, growing to be the most powerful tycoon within the game. But on a secondary level, and I think maybe on an equal level, is the part of building stuff, you know, building this new world, seeing how everything interconnects, improving the processes of your transport systems. So that brings us to the utility part. 
I leave it up to you where you want to go with the utility part because I want to get into Mebits. I don't know if you can connect yeah. the two. Of course I can. So let's talk about Mebits first. And I think that'll yeah. then lead into utility. I think that'll be more valuable. So I'm the general manager of the Mebits DAO, which is you know why I've been invited to be a part of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so let me kind of break that down and what, what all of that means. So Mebits is an NFT collection. There are 20,000 of these different characters. Each one is entirely unique and they're 3D voxel characters, right? So as opposed to a lot of the NFTs that you may be familiar with, which are just simple JPEGs, these are actually 3D models. Um, that's how they were initially designed. They were created by a company called Larva Labs, which is also the creator of CryptoPunks, which is the first you know, 10,000 profile pick NFT collection and, and still you know, it's debatable, which is most, it's either the most valuable NFT collection or second, you know, it's a little bit of debatable. And so Mebits was um, kind of the third collection created by, by Larva Labs, right? So by one of the most important developers in the space. And the promise behind Mebits when they were released was this is your avatar for the metaverse. This launched about a year ago. So this was before Meta, you know, Facebook changed their name to Meta. This was still kind of very early in the conversation of what is the metaverse. And, and so this was really the first, what they called metaverse ready avatar NFT. And so it got a lot of attention for that. At the same time, Larva Labs kind of had made that promise, but they didn't necessarily build all of the utility around it right off the bat. So a group of Mebit holders came together to form uh, an organization, which we call a DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, DAO spelled D-A-O. Um, so they formed the Mebits DAO to essentially help to fulfill on this promise, to, to build the utility around Mebits, to actually make it your avatar for the metaverse. And they did so to a certain extent in partnership with Larva Labs. So one of the things that was done very early on was to create um, a series of different file formats for the Mebit um, so that it can be used in different virtual worlds and games and applications, because right now there's not kind of one file format. There's a variety of different file formats depending on what you're doing. And so we took all 20,000 of them and we created a, a different file formats for each one, which was a, actually a pretty challenging process. Um, and then we built an API where any virtual world or game could then incorporate this code and a Mebit owner could then play that game with their avatar. They could log into that game with their Mebit that they own and play that game or be in that virtual world. This is really cutting edge. This collection, the Mebit's collection, is the only collection that has an API built in and with various different file formats, right? So what I'm describing to you in terms of this utility of NFTs, especially as you kind of enter into the world of the metaverse, right? We are at the cutting edge of building that functionality. That's super interesting. So explain to me and the audience, why was it not the company who did this? What's the interest of Mebits, Larva Labs? Where's the financial aspect of it? How does the interplay go? Sure. So let's start with the financial aspect of it. So most NFT collections now, or okay, let's say an NFT developer kind of has essentially two ways that they're making money. The first way they make money is by selling the NFTs initially, right? And so you make kind of a big, on the initial sale of all the NFTs, when the NFTs are minted, you make a, a bunch of money, right? Like, let's just say it's $100 per NFT or euros, <laughs> and you know you sell a thousand of them, 
right? That's going to be $10,000, right? So, you know, that's the initial sale of these NFTs. The sale of the MeBits generated like $70 million or something like that, right? And then the second way that a company in, that, that sells NFTs makes money is through the secondary royalties. So most NFT collections have like a 5% royalty on secondary sales. And so this creates a sustainable ongoing revenue stream back for the initial organization, which is very novel and like a real innovation of Web3. Larva Labs actually didn't do that. They didn't actually create a, a royalty. So you can buy the Mebit MFTs, or, or rather the seller doesn't makes more money on the sale because a, a, a 5% or whatever doesn't go back to the original creator. Now, maybe that'll change in the future. Um, and it's also platform specific, but it's just a, an interesting thing to note the difference uh, between a collection that actually has a royalty built in versus not a royalty built in. So that's kind of the financial aspect. So Larva Labs made all of the money kind of upfront on the sale of the NFTs. Now, and they weren't, did, they didn't actually create the incentive for themselves to invest in the collection because they'd already made their money, right? Um, did they keep a number for themselves like they did with yes. the crypto punks? Yeah. Yes, yes. So that was actually the way they, what they did differently than the way many other NFT collections where they, they actually kept, I, can't, I don't know exactly know the percentage, but I, I, maybe it's like 2,000 of the 20,000 or something. They mm -hmm. kept some percentage of it, 10% or something for themselves. And so, you know, if the price continues to go up, they could continue to sell, but that's dilutive, right? If they, to make more money, they have to actually reduce their, their own yeah. holdings. And so that's not sustainable, right? Like that, that you, you just, at a certain point, you've lost it all. So actually, you know, and we can talk more about this, but Larva Labs just sold the collection, the basically the copyright of CryptoPunks and Mebits to a different company called Yuga Labs that started the Board 8 Yacht Club. And in that sale, they also sold a, a number of the, of the Mebits and CryptoPunks that they held. So it was both for the copyright and for like a large number of, of the, the collection that they were holding on to. Okay. And talk to us about the licensing aspect of, because this has always been a big issue with the CryptoPunks versus Bored Apes discussion, but I haven't heard that much about the Mebits. How does licensing work there? Yeah. Also kind of a complicated area. From the beginning for both CryptoPunks and Mebits, Actually, there's even kind of a little more nuance to this, right? This was actually published for MeBits, not for CryptoPunks. And so CryptoPunks were kind of like That's looking true, at MeBits yeah. to like understand <laughs> what the rights probably were for the CryptoPunks. It's kind of backwards right there when you think of MeBits as being a much less valuable collection. But I think what we should do is kind of like set these up, these, these two things up side by side. So we have MeBits and we have Board Ape Yacht Club, right? And MeBits created by Larva Labs. Board Ape Yacht Club created by Yuga Labs. Sounds similar, very different. Mm -hmm. The Board Ape Yacht Club uh, NFTs were granted commercial rights to their NFT, meaning that they could create commercial ventures using the image that they, the NFT image that they had or any kind of the traits that they had in their image. And so many people actually started businesses and started to monetize that image, right, uh, in various different ways. And that's one of the reasons why Board API Club became so popular as a collection is, is because of those rights that were granted to the owners. Mebits, the way that Larva Labs set things up is that they didn't grant the commercial rights to the 
individual owners. They continued to kind of hold on to those commercial rights, which in some ways potentially hampered the growth of the collection or the popularity of the collection, especially when everyone was seeing that Board Ape Yacht Club was continuing to grow and that the, those rights were being used in very specific ways. I should also mention that Board Ape Yacht Club and Nibits launched the same week, right? So <laughs> it's that. amazing, right? To, you know, and there's many people who said, you know, I looked at these two collections. One was like a silly JPEG of, of an ape. The other one was a 3D voxel file created by the same company that had created CryptoPunks, right? There was like, there's no question on this, the week that they launched that the Meebits was a much cooler product. And so people, a lot of people invested in Meebits and not in Bored Apes and then, you know, got left with the, you know, the growth wasn't the same. And they kind of <laughs> talk about it as a, you know, a mistake that they made, but who could have known at the time? So for sure. to continue this story forward, I just mentioned that Yuga Labs, Bored Ape Yacht Club, just purchased the copyright of CryptoPunks and Meebits. Um, just last week. And when they publicized the purchase, they said, and we are giving commercial rights to all owners, right? That that's the one thing that they were doing right off the bat. So the language hasn't officially kind of come out, but like the intention is there. And so now all Mebits holders and CryptoPunk holders now have commercial rights for their NFT. Okay, that's that's very interesting. I should also mention that there's an alter like I, I think there are three main models used for licensing, which are the two you mentioned, and the uh, CCO, the open source license, which is most I think made most famous by the nouns DAO. So we don't need to go get into it, but I'll put an, uh, a link in the show notes for those who want to get into licensing. Yeah. I mean, I can just say on a, on a very high level, right? With a CCO license, right? There's basically no copyright holder on some level, right? Like anybody can use it for any purpose. And, you know, in the case of the commercial rights being granted to a holder, the overall IP is still owned by a central corporation. In this case, now mm -hmm. Yuga Labs, right? It was Larva Labs. Now it's Yuga Labs. They own the Mebits IP, right? So they can make a deal to get um, Mebits or CryptoPunks or Board API Club into movies or something like that. And that brand and that company has to get paid for, for, for that license, you know, for something like NounsDAO or MFERS or Crypto Toads, like uh, Cryptodes, right? There's many other examples. There's no one to kind of make that deal because anybody can use it freely. Yeah, and I think the main argument against doing that kind of license is that it can be used for nefarious purposes, which would also dilute or affect negatively the brand itself. So I think there's no clear winner as of right now. I think we're all trying to find what's the best for which kind of project. I personally love the Bored Ape approach. I wish to do this had the Bored Ape uh, license. Although I hope that they would eventually move in that direction. I actually think that the Doodles is pretty similar to the Board API Club license. I mean, they there's a hundred thousand dollar yeah, that's, cap. That's the main thing. And and what they've said, and and you know, uh Poopy <laughs> is his <laughs> name. Uh Poopy, who is one of the creators of the Doodle collection, has said basically they did that just to basically say like, hey, let's have a conversation if you're like building a million dollar business around this brand. Um, not to say that we're going to sue you right off the bat or kind of limit your creativity, but we don't want people to kind of go off and, and do something really, really big without having a conversation with us about it. 
Yeah. So, Mebits, how does the change in license impact? Like, have you seen any immediate impact or have you been waiting for this moment? Has any project yeah. really needed this license before? Yes. I mean, I am just ecstatic. I'm overjoyed by by the granting of the commercial rights to holders. And I think it's a good opportunity for me to talk a little bit more about the DAO itself because mm-hmm. I kind of half told that story, right? So we created a DAO to build utility around Mebits. Up until this point, we've really been hampered because we still couldn't do anything without the permission of Larva Labs, right? Okay. Now we basically have the doors are open and we have the ability to to create a lot of different things, which I want to talk to Yuga Labs about it and kind of like be on the same page with them, but I don't necessarily need their permission in the same way. And so all of these projects that I had kind of, you know, backlogged in some ways, I now just feel I can run forward and and do it. And I'm very, very excited about that. And so we're, you know, we're going to be launching a whole merchandise store around MeBits. We're going to be building um, new utility for MeBits. So taking the whole collection and putting them, creating pixel-based characters as opposed to voxel-based characters, basically creating, they're going backwards a little bit. We're taking a 3D model and we're putting it into a 2D experience because that's going to be a whole branch of the metaverse that kind of is very retro, kind of mm-hmm. like 80s, 90s graphics, you know, and so we want to kind of be on that branch of the metaverse as well as we go down the immersive 3D branch. And so all of these different projects that kind of were backlogged, I can now really run at because we've been granted commercial rights. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Now, in terms of the DAO, how how big is the DAO in terms of how many holders are involved? And follow as a follow-up to that, I'd love to, if you could walk us through the process, if I were to acquire a MeBit today, say on OpenSea, why would I join the DAO and what would be the process of doing that? Yeah. So you can buy a MeBit, right, on OpenSea or on the Larva Labs trading website, MeBit's trading site. There's about 6,000 holders of MeBits right now. And the floor prices between four and five ETH right now. So yeah, 6,000 holders owning 20,000 MeBits. The DAO is a separate organization. We have 200 founders uh, or just shy of 200 founders in the DAO. And each of those founders contributed one ETH to to the DAO uh, and they have a founders token. And then we have uh, about 3,300 general members in the DAO. Uh, Those members contributed 0.05 ETH, um, so one twentieth of what the founder uh, contributed. They also get a, a membership token. Those are also selling on OpenSea as well. Um, or you could mint your mint your own um, from our website, which is mebitsdao.world. And the reason we kind of created these two different tiers of membership of the DAO is we've created a really interesting governance model where the founders actually have voting rights in the DAO, and the general members basically choose a representative, one of the founders to be their representative in their votes. And they can increase the founder's voting power by delegating an ERC-20 token called an MVOX token to them. So the general members every month, they get another MVOX token. So the longer you're a member of the DAO, the more MVOX tokens you can accumulate. You can then choose a representative with a greater amount of voting power. And so this, we've created this representative model where we still kind of have the decision-making power controlled within the hands of a few, but it's scalable so that 
you know, ideally every single person who owns a MEBIT can join the DAO and still have influence in how we end up uh, using the funds that we've raised to develop utility around MEBITs. Okay. And so, so what's kind of utility is there at the moment or what are you working on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I should say as well is that it's not just about utility for the MEBITs. It's, it's about a bigger concept. There, there's a bigger vision that we have here. And essentially, MEBITs becomes the tool to achieve this vision. And so I want to talk about the vision for a second, which mm -hmm. is okay. the idea of the open metaverse, yeah. right? You know, there's this kind of battle going on right now between centralization and decentralization. Just right? to interrupt you, is, is, is this what, because I'm also trying to get into the metaverse in a deeper way. Is yeah. this what excites you and led you to the MeBits? Or was it the MeBits leading you into <laughs> this? Um, the truthful answer is I got it into MeBits. And then as I continued to kind of go down the rabbit hole and research and learn more, especially in this role as general manager, I was like, what's the greater mission here? Like, why? Like I, I'm always looking for the why. Like why are we doing this, and what's what's important about it? Or perhaps and, is it? Do you think? Do you feel it's a core principle that most holders have to build this open metaverse by holding a bit and participating in the DAO? Yeah, actually, because there are many people who are actually members of the DAO who don't own a bit, right? Okay. Which is really interesting. So I don't own a bit. But I still want to join the MeBits DAO, and I think that the motivation to do so is because you're actually you believe in the mission, which is about building the open metaverse. And so I should explain the, the open metaverse. Like, what is that? Right? It, it's again, it, it's supporting decentralization um, and interoperability. Right? So we know that Facebook is entering into the world of the metaverse, and you know, Facebook has walls around it. Right? Like they control your data. Right. If you upload something to Facebook or to Instagram, right, like you don't own that photo, like that photo is owned by Facebook. Now you put it onto their platform. And in Web3, the whole concept is that you own your data or you that, that these digital assets actually belong to you. And so what we want to do is continue to build the infrastructure and the tools and the ecosystem for this open metaverse to exist that gives power kind of back to the hands of the people as opposed to centralized organizations. And that's why the DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. And so what we're doing is using MeBits as a tool to help develop this ecosystem and to showcase the fact that, an av that you can have one NFT avatar and it can be used in all of these different metaverse experiences, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, virtual games, virtual worlds, all these different things. And that one asset can live across all of these different platforms. And so that's the bigger vision that we have here and why I think this work is really important. And then it's really fun because I get to like explore all these different games and worlds and, you know, create utility and have dancing me bits. And like, you know, people can be really creative with these characters because they, they have the files to be able to like create music videos or anything like that. And it's really, really fun. And so if say the doodles want to follow and create an avatar that can be used across all these different metaverse, we were using the word metaverse in a bit of an ambiguous term, I guess. It is an ambiguous term at the moment because people mean different things. But let's talk about games, virtual worlds, that kind of stuff. If another project like the doodles want to do the same, 
can they interact with the meatless DAO or can they use can they use it as a stepping stone kind of thing? Yeah. You know, I think um there's a lot of really cool interactions that are existing in this space. And, you know, I host a Twitter spaces show every Monday called Metaverse Mondays um, okay. at 7 or 8 p.m. GMT, depending on the time zone change. <laughs> and what we do on the Metaverse Mondays show is bring on other projects, platforms, NFT collections, projects that are building utility in the open metaverse because I want to showcase this ecosystem and the growth of this ecosystem. So it's not just about me bits, it's about kind of the, the, the whole ecosystem that's being created. So I think there are some other collections, NFT collections that are kind of further along in this process than doodles, for example. So, you know, you have clone X um, by artifact, they have 3d models, you have fluff world that they have 3d models. There's a few other collections um, void uh, by Imogen. There are a few other collections that are, popular that are kind of doing some really interesting 3D model work um, that are more kind of in line with us. But what I'm really interested in is not just the other NFT avatar collections, but the platforms that are being built. So here's a, a great example is Jadu Hologram, which built, uh, th their focus is augmented reality. And so for people who don't know what that term is, it's, it's basically the interaction of, of the digital world and the physical world together. So you might have, you know, you can hold up your like po Pokemon go is like, was like a very popular mm -hmm. example of this, where you look through at your phone screen and you can see kind of your world, but then you see a digital kind of thing on top of, you know, the actual physical world. And so Jadu built uh, jetpacks and hoverboards and created integration for certain NFT collections, including the Mebits to be able to ride that hoverboard or to use that jetpack. And you can, you know, see the Mebit riding the jetpack, you know, down the street in your, in your room, in, 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 like in front of your home, you know, by looking at your phone and kind of recording a video and uploading it and stuff like that. And then they're going to be building a whole game and like quests and all these different things that you can do in the real world kind of with these different tools. And so that's to me really interesting. And the partnerships that, that end up existing where, you know, they're building a tool, an augmented reality tool or a virtual world, but what they need is people to kind of enter into it with their avatar. And that's where Mebits play a, a significant role. Mm, that's an interesting example. I hadn't, so that this is the intermediate first step, no, that you can record a video and you have the characters within the video. Yeah, I mean, if, if you go to the Mebits DAO on Twitter, uh -huh. you know, I post about this all, all the time and oh. you can see examples of Mebits kind of writing <laughs> on hoverboards or using jetpacks and in the physical world or kind of in virtual games. Both, get, both exist as well. Which one do you think will be the first thing to be adopted, the AR or the virtual world? Well, the metaverse is all of it, right? And that's what's so interesting to me, right? If we were to create it, categorize it simply, you know, you have virtual worlds, right? An example of a virtual world, like Fortnite is a virtual world, like World mm -hmm. of Warcraft is a virtual world, right? This can be a 2D experience that you look on your computer screen, but the whole idea of like massive multiplayer online games, right? Where you have many people kind of all existing in the same virtual space, like that's an example of virtual world. You have virtual reality, right? Where you're kind of a 3D immersive experience, often with a headset, right? Where you can kind of look around in all directions and you're, you're fully immersed. And then augmented reality, which is this interaction between the physical world and the digital world, 
right? So in a simplistic way, we can kind of think of the metaverse as all three of these different, or the, these are three different kind of like representations essentially of the metaverse that exist. And what are the projects that you've been working on for integration purposes? The, like the big, you mentioned Jado Hologram, which I hadn't heard of before. I'm curious to check that out. Yeah, that's a really cool example of augmented reality. Uh, I'll give you examples in all three cases, right? Yeah. So augmented reality. Another one, actually, when we started this interview, unfortunately, people can't see, but was another example. I was wearing my MeBit on my face in our conversation over Zoom, right? This is another example of a of an augmented reality lens filter that we created with Snapchat, right? And so you can actually go on Snapchat and download the MeBits filter and either it's a full body filter. So you can like do dance videos and stuff as the MeBit or just kind of as a head. And that's another example of augmented reality kind of combining with an NFT collection and creating that utility. So just, just to interrupt, because I'm really new to the, this voxel stuff. Yeah. I've been in simple PFP land so far. If I buy a MeBit, do I immediately have access to all these filters and everything you've created? The Snapchat filter that we built is free to everybody. So we have six representative MeBits um, and the owners of those MeBits basically volunteered to share their MeBit. Um, we actually did a whole contest online um, where we said, submit your MeBit for this. Mm -hmm. And then we, and people voted on which MeBit that they wanted included. And it was important to me, this is actually something I should mention. So a little tangent, but one of the things that I love about the MeBits collection is it's a representative and inclusive collection, right? So it's gender diverse, it's racially diverse. And so when we think about the future of the metaverse, it's very important to me that we we think about both the, not only the technological development of it, but also the values that we're instilling within it. And the idea of inclusivity and representation and equity and diversity is very, very important and something that is kind of built into the fabric of the MeBits collection, right? So in building this AR filter, what we were going to choose six different MeBits to use as examples, it was very important to me that we were going to have a diverse set of MeBits. And so I kind of structured this in a way that was like going to give me some like ability to kind of choose if I needed to. And ultimately it was amazing. The top six that were voted on were representative. They included dark skin and light skin and, and male and female and short hair and longer hair. And I was just like, that's amazing. Like the, the community actually kind of chose in, in that manner. And so, yeah, these six are fully available to everybody. And I think it'll probably be out when this podcast comes out because we're kind of in our final stages. We're still making some tweaks to it. And yet, and if you want to kind of turn your MeBit into an AR lens filter, we're going to have a process for doing that as well. There's going to be a fee to do that because it's going to be kind of specifically designed around your MeBit, but we'll be able to kind of add more if people want to kind of flex their MeBit in that way and kind of pay for their MeBit to be added. And so these would be benefits to any MeBit holder or those specific to being in the DAO? This is open to everybody. And so it's not a member, not a MeBit holder. It's not to, I mean, if you want to kind of design your MeBit, then you should own the MeBit that we're going to get designed. But in terms of like downloading the Snapchat filter and being able to use it and create music videos and all different, you know, dance stuff, like that's going to be available for everybody. Cool. I think we were talking about the... <laughs> The different the worlds, different, right? So yeah. we talked about augmented reality as kind of yeah. one uh, branch of the metaverse, right? Let's talk about virtual worlds, because I think this is also really interesting. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing this play a part, a significant part in the development of the metaverse right now. So 
one of the largest examples is called Sandbox, right? Or the Sandbox game. Um, and they are um, voxel-based and they're cre- they've created a digital uh, a land, right? A, a, with scarcity and people are buying up plots um, and then building experiences and games and cities and stuff within the Sandbox, right? So MeBits is getting integrated into that platform. And I mentioned earlier, there's not clear standards. So it's kind of a custom process each time you enter into most of these new worlds, because you have to kind of rig the 3D model to operate perfectly in that world. You know, there's certain ways in which it can move and other things. So we're working with Sandbox right now to rig MeBits into Sandbox. And for like anyone who's like, in the know and like paying attention, they'd be like, Oh my God, you're going to sandwich. Like that's like really big news for people who are like, <laughs> who are like into this kind of stuff. Everybody else is like, uh, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then the third example I was saying as well of kind of entering into a virtual world is, is this 2d metaverse as opposed to the 3d metaverse. So not mm-hmm. voxel based, but pixel based, kind of more of a retro artistic look. And so we're recreating all 20,000 Mebit characters in pixel form. And that, that's literally a, a, it's a manual process of recreating every single individual meat bit. And we do it with traits and kind of, you know, layering things on top of each other, but you can't just kind of like click a button and tr- turn your 3d model into a 2d pixel model. Like it, it's in a manual process. So that's another example of a virtual world and how we're building utility around me bits into a virtual world, you know, in, in a game. And as an example, I think, could I mention World Wide Web? I, I own an apartment uh, and, uh, and this yep. game kind of thing. Uh, so, so in that case, would you be working with the developers to integrate the MeBits into that particular ecosystem? That's actually what we're doing. So the World Wide Web, which is, you know, kind of a... A little hubris in choosing that name for their for their game. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I don't really like know. it, but <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, web is spelled with two B's, W E B B, to try to distinguish from the just general World Wide Web. <laughs> and they're also called Web Three, W E B B Three, which is again the term for just like all of blockchain. So you know, it's kind <laughs> of funny. Um, but they they are really the what I would say the current leaders in the space of building a pixel based metaverse experience and world. I love their product. I mean, it's so cool to hear that you have an apartment. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That was a great purchase. So we're designing the pixel characters specifically for integration into a web three to worldwide web three. And, you know, we'll then have the sprite sheets be able to use in other places, but they might you know, you kind of have to design for one specific application, like I was saying with Sandbox, because the rigging is slightly different, like, you know, the way that they do Pixel, you know. So we're designing for that platform in particular, and we're doing this in partnership with World Wide Web. Um, that's super interesting. Um, maybe I missed I missed something, but how does this, in terms of the DAO, who's doing all this work and what are the incentives? I mean, the financial incentives for or doing the stuff that the rigging and all this, how does that work? Yeah. So the DAO has a treasury uh, of about 200 ETH or so, which was generated by the sale of our founder and general membership token. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the future, kind of a royalty will actually be built into the Mebits collection that will kind of create a sustainable pool of funds for the development of the utility of Mebits. That's my vision and goal. But currently, I'm sorry to interrupt. The, 
So you mentioned that the the founder tokens can be traded as well, right? Yes. Yeah, one of them or two tiers can be traded. Yes, it's a bit complicated, but yes, yeah, I can go into <laughs> it. But yeah, yes, they can be traded. So there are royalties flowing into the community fund. Yes, but we don't see a lot of trading for the membership tokens. Again, they're 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 not really thought of as collectibles. They're thought of as a membership, and so there's not as much trading going on. We actually haven't seen any founders trade their tokens. It's kind Makes of like a, well. they're a part of yeah, they're a part yeah. of this. They invested in it, like they believe in it. They're voting members, so we haven't seen we've literally seen zero trades for okay. the founders. There's some trades for you know, the general membership token, it was kind of cheap and some people don't really, didn't really know what they were buying, but again, it's, you know, doesn't really represent a revenue stream for us as a DAO that's significant mm -hmm. um, because it's not really being used in that way. So, I mean, the real potential sustainable revenue is actually the sale of MeBits, right? And if the DAO is here to build utility around MeBits to create the open metaverse, it would make sense that there are some sort of funds that are generated from the secondary sale of MeBits that can be then used to reinvest back into the collection. So, you know, that's one of my hopes and visions for the future. But as of today, we have a treasury of 200 ETH, you know, which is half a million dollars or more. And that treasury goes to pay my salary. For example, I'm the only full-time employee, the only employee actually of the DAO. So I'm helping mm -hmm. to kind of drive our product strategy, our communication strategy, uh, kind of the governance and all of that. And then it also represents the development fund that we have to invest in these projects. So for example, the Pixel MeBits is a proposal I just submitted to the DAO um, on behalf of the steering committee. And uh, it's going to cost us $60,000 to design these Pixel MeBits, which is expensive. I told you it was a manual process, right? To recreate 20,000 characters. You know, that's the DAO investing that money right now. Now, hopefully, maybe in the future, Yuga Labs will also want to support the development of the collection as a whole and contribute funds or add in this royalty in order to have a pool of money that we can draw from. But currently, you know, that's DAO funds that have been created from the sale of our membership tokens to invest in the Mebits collection as a whole. And do you get uh, income from the platforms themselves when you integrate with them? No. No, I mean this essentially this is this is just building utility for the Mebit owners, right? Yeah. So it's essentially a new file type that we're creating and it's going to be free to use for Mebit owners and you know the platform's not paying us, right? Like it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Where they want the avatars to exist in their platform because it brings attention and and mm -hmm. use to their platform and we want the virtual worlds and the games because it gives utility to the NFT collection, right? And that's part of what I love about Web3 and all of this work is every day I'm on the phone connecting with other builders in the space. And we're like, what can we do together? How can we collaborate? What can we build? Because it's symbiotic. Like what I'm, you know, I'm giving away for new NFT collections, right? I'll give away whitelist spots or allow list spots, basically like, like early access to NFT holders, to the, mem to the members of the DAO, to new collections. And that benefits my members, but it also benefits these new collections because now they're getting some added attention from a much bigger player like us, right? So that's an example of a new NFT collection versus a virtual world where you can actually have utility of your MeBit. All right. That's, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't know. Did, you, did we miss anything about 
what we've been discussing that you'd like to share. I have one extra question that I had is about which platforms you're especially bullish. And this is maybe a, a selfish question because <laughs> I'm really trying to understand the whole metaverse space yeah. and how to invest in it. Um, so sure. I'm really, yeah. Well, we're still early, I want to say, right? <laughs> and so no one can predict today, I think, what is going to be, you know, the winner 20 years from now. Uh, or 10 years from now, right? Like Yahoo was a big winner back in the day, right? like pets.com, right? Um, you know, you should have invested in Amazon. So I'll tell you what I think right now, I think at this, but the space moves really, really fast, right? So what's winning right now might not be winning tomorrow. Uh, but I think the sandbox is doing really cool stuff. And there's a reason why those plots of land are very expensive. Um, I think in the pixel-based 2D metaverse, World Wide Web is doing some really cool stuff. I'm a big fan of Jadu, which I mentioned as well, yeah. um, which is building really cool stuff in the AR world. They're also a funded startup, right? These are all like VC-backed as well. Everything that Board Ape Yacht Club and Yuga Labs does, right? And I'm not just saying this now that we're part of that family, but like I would have said this before, pay attention to what they're doing. You know, there's a rumor going around right now. So they launched today their Ape, Ape coin, which yeah. is a kind of a cryptocurrency that is going to be used for kind of their ecosystem. That's really interesting. And there's a rumor going around that they're going to be launching kind of their own metaverse world that has plots of land. There's nothing specific out there about that, but that's a rumor. Um, at the end of the day, I actually think that the NFT avatars um, are going to be more valuable than the like digital real estate than the land. Because I think you can, I mean, to, to a certain extent, like there are going to be places to go in the metaverse that are built out and popular. Um, but at the same time, I think that the, that the like meme, that the like, that the, 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 the strong, that a land is just land. Like what, what is, what is iconic about it is what gets built upon it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and this is where kind of the the like memetic. So meme is the same word as like memetic, right? Like what what is the message that is being conveyed? And and I believe that me bits are the meme or the like memetic message of the open metaverse, right? And it's a combination of all of these things. It's it's that it was created by Larva Labs, the original creator of the NFT PFP collection, right? Um, it was the first ready metaverse ready 3D voxel character. And what I said about it being representative, uh, diverse, and inclusive, right? So these three reasons to me make it the meme of the open interoperable metaverse. And that to me carries weight beyond just kind of like a piece of digital real estate, right? That there's a message that th that is there that is trying to be conveyed. And that's really exciting to me. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And for someone who wants to buy a Mebit after hearing this conversation, that's me. <laughs> what traits? Is there any traits or some? Oh, you want to talk about traits? Oh, this is so much fun. <laughs> so, oh gosh. All right. I thought we were going to end on that, like my like passionate, like, you know, plea for the open metaverse. But yeah, no, let's talk well, about traits. Me. That's so much fun. <laughs> you yeah. me to get into no, it. perfect. Great. <laughs> um, yes. Um, you know, not financial advice. Buy a Mebit. Um, <laughs> So, and then join the DAO. Like there's so much detail to this collection. There's so much detail. There's like 
I don't know, 1200 traits or combination of traits. Like there's so much um, and it's amazing. So I'll just kind of talk about a couple of things. So about of the 20,000 MeBits, almost 19,000 are humans. So there's only a thousand that are other characters. There's pigs, elephants, aliens, uh, robots, skeletons, and a very, very few number of what they call dissected. Um, no punks. What? No punks. Well, so there's so if you're a punk holder, there's actually like homages to a lot of different things. So there are some me bits that have a shirt that's like a punk that has a punk on their okay. shirt. That's pretty cool. Right. There's 23 different shoes, right? Traits of shoes, right? So there's like really cool different shoes. There's a bunch of different t-shirts uh, that they wear um, that have cool images on them. One has a flamingo. Again, there's also different traits for, for the male and female maybe. So the, some of the female characters have like heart shirts, but those you're not going to find those on, on some of the males. There's uh, a bunch of different hats that are super cool. And uh, there's also tattoos. This is actually, I think, a, another really cool trait. Um, and the tattoos are mostly unique. So there's about 700 different Mebits that have tattoos and there's like 500 different versions, right? So there's only some duplication and they are all um, algorithmically generated. So inspired by this generative art project that uh, Larva Labs created, right? So distinct tattoos on the Mebits, which is super, super cool. There's fun hairstyles. You can spend hours and I have <laughs> just kind of like looking at the different traits and the combination of traits. And it's just done so thoughtfully. Yeah. So if you're, if you're kind of in the mood to like make an investment, right? Like getting one of the characters that's not human obviously is, is really good. Like the, the pigs in particular, I think a really cool uh, trait because the, the Mebits logo actually is like a snout, a pig snout. Um, and there's all these different kind of references to the pig snout throughout the collection. So um, that's kind of like a mid-tier rare uh, item as opposed to kind of the, the most expensive ones. And I think, uh, not financial advice, but I think that the pigs are uh, like a really cool Mebit. Very interesting. Uh, do they have the different abilities in terms of what they can do in, the, in each world or is it all standard? Yeah, uh, not yet. I mean, that's really interesting idea, right? And that would be built out by the the virtual game of the world, kind of more mm -hmm. than it would be by by me. But what I will kind of give a little bit of hint at is, you know, we're building this pixel me bits right now, and for some of the more rare characters, there will be some sort of like custom animations that are built in, so you will see you know, some, some move, some things that are moving and some things that are a little bit special for the rare characters. Right. So that's not necessarily an ability, but it does kind of showcase them in, in a special way. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I got the idea because I've been really into cyber brokers lately. Oh yeah, um, me too. I really love what they're <laughs> building <laughs> and they have the yeah. talent, the levels of the soul, um, three levels. Yeah. So that can be applied to, to the abilities or gaming stuff. Yeah. I think that for me, bits, 
So uh, this is actually another important kind of distinction, right? Like I, my sense is that cyber brokers is building their own world, right? They, they have like a very deep storytelling platform around it. And that's why kind of they create different traits and abilities and jobs for the various different NFT characters. Our vision is that this is your avatar for the metaverse, right? And so we didn't necessarily define that as part of the collection because it's not about us. It's about this being the avatar to be used everywhere. Uh, Mebits everywhere, and so I think every single virtual world or game is going to, you know, kind of build that into their system, and it might be different in different places depending on kind of what is more valuable as a trait in that world. Makes a lot of sense. Well, I think we can close it off on that note. I'll definitely share with you which one I end up buying. I'm sure I'll <laughs> I'll get one at some point. And yeah, super interesting. I'm really excited. Uh, thanks a lot for, for joining me. And yeah, good luck with all the MeBitDAO stuff that you're building, especially now with the new licensing terms. Thank you. And if, if you want to kind of follow along, right, yeah. uh, it's uh, at MeBitsDAO on Twitter. Um, my name is Danny Green, and you can follow me at Danny Green. There's an E at the end of green. Um, and uh, our website is mebitsdao.world. And so check us out there as well. If you, and you can mint a membership token, whether you own a Mebit or not, um, for 0.05 ETH. And we'd love you to be a part of the DAO. Awesome. Thanks a lot. And I'll be sure to link everything up in the show notes. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Danny. I'm personally pumped to look into Mebits again and probably make some investments in Mebits. I'm really excited about what they're creating in terms of the AR possibilities that Danny mentioned. Yeah, following up with last week's episode, I think I'm going to be digging deeper into the metaverse. And if you have any questions on the topic, please let me know. It's podcast at mastermind.fm to reach out to me. Or you can also reach out to me on Twitter at Jean Galea. As always, hope you enjoyed the show and see you in the next episode.